0: fano Cortina Tokuwingwa my name is Tina I'm one of the pastors here and it is good to be in church this morning so welcome welcome if it's your first time here uh, welcome if you have been away and come back uh, welcome if it's your fourth or fifth time welcome if you've been here for 50 years welcome to you this morning all right before I start a special welcome to The junior youth this morning, so they should all still be in here. But I see that some of them have left. (laughs) So, oh, you're down the back. Don't go down the back. It's all right, they're hiding from me. So, whenever I preach, because normally I'm out with the junior youth who are generally year six to ten, but we have got some year fives in there as well at the moment. But when I uh, speak, they get the privilege of staying in. uh, But there are some great activities here, guys, that I have prepared for you. So come and grab them, and there's colour pencils or felts as well. Now the thing is that often adults say to me, how come we don't get a sheet, Tina? So if you're an adult that likes to keep your hand busy uh, while someone is speaking, for whatever reason, you are welcome to come and take one of these as well. There is drawing, there are fill in the gaps There's even a picture and there's some colouring. So if you'd like to keep your hands busy, come on up. If you're sitting down the back and you feel embarrassed to come all the way to the front, I have left four or five down the back as well. Okay, so no shame, uh, no awkwardness. I've run off 15, so I hope that's enough. And uh, you can have one of these dinky little clipboards as well, which are pretty cool, which I love. So there you go. Have a clipboard. Grab a sheet and keep your hands busy. All right, so today I get um, to talk about bread. My topic is bread. And uh, I've got here two types of bread. I hope you can see them. I'll move them forward a little bit. Two types of bread here. Uh, So this is uh, the white sliced bread. And uh, this is made from refined white flour and instant yeast. And it probably took about four hours from mixing through to uh, rising and cooking. And that is bread number one. This here is still warm. Uh, It came out of Elena's oven this morning. This is sourdough. Uh, It is made with whole wheat flour. Did you mill it? That is milled by hand. Um, and it was leavened with a sourdough starter, so live culture, and raised for probably about 12 hours, something like that, Yeah, and then uh, baked. Now, both are bread, now I've got flour all over my hands, Uh, both are bread, and uh, this one definitely has its uses, like sausage sizzle. Who wants their sausage sizzle on that one? Not me. Uh, Club sandwiches. Yeah, this one, eh? But which is better for you? Hands down, this one. Like, this one is easier to digest for your tummy. This one is higher in protein. Uh, The natural fermentation process means that this one releases minerals that the flour cannot release in here. Um, What else on my list is like, Mineroles. Oh, it can help with weight loss. Did you know that? It can help with weight loss. It has, not me yet. It has, unless you eat heaps of it. Um, and this is how bread was made for, like, forever until about the last 80 years. This is the bread that has fed the world down through the ages. And it turns out Jesus has something to say about bread. So... Turn with me, if you have your Bibles here, to John 6. Now, I'm not going to read all of it because it's 71 verses, and that will take most of my preaching time. However, I will say that the missions team was going to do a slot this morning, and then they couldn't. So guess who's using up that time? Um, So we are looking at uh, John 6, and I will, the feeding of the 5,000. And I um, am going to summarize some of it, and then we will read uh, the actual verses in a little bit. So the feeding of the 5,000 is probably the most well-known of all of Jesus' miracles. Uh, It occurs in all four of the Gospels. It's the only miracle to do so apart from the resurrection. Uh, The chapter begins with crowds following Jesus, as is typical. They've seen his miracles, they've seen his healings, Um, and Jesus and his closest disciples get in a boat and they cross over to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, probably to get away from people after their ministry trip. And they go up into the hills once they get there, um, an area that's now known as the Golan Heights, and they sit down, and because it's nearly Passover, there is actually grass to sit on. Remember, this is a dry land, um, and at lots of times of the year there was no grass, but there was grass most likely that time of year. And so here they are, ready to just relax and be alone, but the crowds find them. Um, They want more of Jesus. And after a bit, Jesus turns to Philip, one of his 12 disciples, and says, you know, where can we buy bread, Philip, to feed all these people, because there's lots of them and they're going to be hungry. And Philip is shocked because he realizes this is going to cost a small fortune to feed this many. But Andrew comes forward with a young boy's contribution. Here comes your maths, junior youth. Um, So his contribution is five small loaves and two fishes. And Jesus gets everyone seated, gives thanks, distributes the bread, distributes the fish, and everyone eats till they're satisfied. So we've got 5,000 men plus women plus children. There's, There's a bunch of people. And then there's 12 baskets of food left over. So the crowd is like elated, thinking, this is the prophet we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah King who's coming to rescue us from Rome, and Jesus, not wanting to be that kind of king, takes off and goes off alone. Okay, so that's the real well-known part, but the story goes on. The disciples wait for Jesus, thinking, okay, he's going to come back from his alone time, but he does not. Uh, And they decide to head back across the lake without him. Uh, While they're on the lake, a gale sweeps down and the seas get rough, very common, big lake. Uh, But what frightens them more than uh, the gale is they see Jesus walking across the water to them and calling out to them to not be afraid. Jesus gets in the boat and they reach their destination. And then we have the next morning, and we're going to pick up our reading uh, in verse 26 shortly. Uh, The next morning, the crowds are back on the other side. They're like puzzled. There was only one boat that left. We saw Jesus wasn't in it. So where is he? He's clearly not here. And they cross the water and um, get to the other side and find Jesus. How did you get here? They ask him. So verse 26, here we go. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs, and that's a very apt comment, like these are Galilean peasants, they lived close to the soil, uh, to be fed was amazing, that's what they spent their lives doing, trying to get enough out of the soil to feed them, so to be fed was fabulous, 27, Jesus said, Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me his seal of approval. They replied, We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Verse 30, they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We're going to skip down to verse 41. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? And we're going to skip to 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. And then the passage continues uh, with people grumbling over Jesus' teaching that we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood, there's confusion, there's a bit of disgust, there's a bit of quarreling. And in verse 66, we actually read that at that point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Very interesting. Jesus gives this teaching and then a whole bunch leave. So what is the point of all of this? We've got this miracle, we've got the crossing of the lake, and then we've got this teaching about being the bread of life. And this explanation, which can essentially be summed up as this, I am the bread of heaven, believe in me, and you will have eternal life. And many of us just kind of nod and go, yep, yep, that's, I get that, understand that. But let's just unpack it a bit and see if we really have got our heads around what this means. And I'd like to start off with the eternal life part. So I've been around church all my life, mostly this one, but connected to a few others as well, and if I had to sum up my understanding of eternal life uh, as a kid, it would have been this, going to heaven when I die. Okay, that's kind of what I picked up from being around church, that if, if I believed in Jesus, I would go to heaven when I died. As I got a bit older, my understanding broadened a bit more and I came to see that eternal life didn't just begin when I died, that God was at work now. Uh, He was bringing about reconciliation and healing and renewal for people, but if I'm honest, it was still like 70% is going to heaven when you die and maybe 30% is like a little kickstart that you get now and that was kind of my, my thinking about what this eternal life thing meant. But more recently, and even just this year as we've been immersing ourselves in the book of John, where this word life and eternal life just comes up over and over and over again. I don't know if you've noticed that in your reading of John. Um, I've been grappling with it again, and uh, I reread large parts of John, noting down every time the word life came up, and I came to see that Jesus was promising much more than life when I die, that he was promising life now just as much as life when I die. And I've researched biblical scholars who are saying the same thing. British biblical scholar Tom Wright has been at the forefront of a significant shift in thinking about this notion of eternal life. And he's insisted that the purpose of Jesus' coming was not to rescue souls for heaven, but to usher in the kingdom of God, the bringing of heaven to earth. He suggests a better way to understand the word eternal is with the words the age to come. And so eternal life is the life of the age to come, an age that Jesus inaugurated with his coming, through his teaching, through his death, through his resurrection, an age where people love both their friends and their enemies, An age where people calm both their anger and not just their violence. An age where people tame their lust and not just their bodies. An age of equality for women and children and slaves and all races. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus prayed. Have a go at reading John. And every time you see life or eternal life, mostly it will work try and slot in the life of the age to come or the kingdom of heaven and see if it alters your reading and your understanding of eternal life. Jesus didn't come just to sweep souls off to heaven when they die. He came to rescue this world and to renew this world and to redeem this world and to reorder this world. A work that started with his coming... His life, his death, his resurrection, and that does stretch into eternity. God is deeply concerned with the now. And in this new era that Jesus is ushering in, he declares that he will be the bread. So let's look at the second word now, bread. So bread is the staple food for much of our world. And Jesus, in claiming to be the bread, is declaring himself to be the main source of spiritual food for our world. Verse 35 I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. Those who believe in me will never thirst. So, in this life of the age to come, the age of the kingdom, believing in Jesus will bring about deep, real, lasting satisfaction. And nourishment. We will not thirst. We will not hunger. We will not yearn for other things. We will be satisfied. Back in John, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus rebuked the crowd who were frantically searching for him and told them they were just looking for him because he'd given them a feed. He'd put food in their bellies. Nothing wrong with a feed. Nothing wrong with a feed. We need food our more primal desires for food for water for sex for shelter for for safety there's nothing wrong with those we need them for our survival but jesus points to a deeper need and calls himself the true bread the story of our world okay we're doing the story theme the story of our world is obsession with those basic desires it chases them expecting them to bring fulfilment. Have your casual sex. It'll make you happy. Have your brunch every weekend. Have your sports addictions. Have your Gucci handbags. Have your cool car. Have your designer dining tables. Binge watch on Netflix for hours each night. Doom scroll on your phone. Have you heard that word? I came across that one recently. Doom scroll. Scroll, 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 scroll until you get that dopamine hit. We, our society, is utterly obsessed with pleasure in the moment. Happiness. But here's the thing. You can't chase happiness. You can't chase happiness. You will hunger again. You will hunger again. You can find a temporary moment of pleasure, but not real happiness. Real happiness is a byproduct. And it is a byproduct of deep satisfaction and nourishment. It is being known. It is being loved. It is knowing what your purpose is. It is knowing who you are. And in Jesus, those deep needs, those aches of the soul, can be met as we allow ourselves to be nourished by Him. How? More on that's coming. But He is to be our bread. The other word we need to look at is believe, and Josh touched on this, Josh Taylor um, touched on this a month back when he preached. The word trouble with language, eh? words keep shifting in their meaning, so our word believe in English has moved over the last few decades, and now it means something more akin to make space in your mind for. So we can believe that water might once have existed on Mars. We can believe our planet is warming. We can believe we eat too much sugar in our diets. We can believe all those things, but they don't call for any action on our part necessarily. It doesn't necessarily require anything from us. Yes, we can rearrange the space in our brains to make room for those ideas, but that is not the kind of belief that Jesus is talking about. And so scholars are now suggesting that a more helpful word would be trust. Jesus is asking the crowd to trust him, to lean the full weight of their lives upon him, their hopes, their dreams, their plans, their desires, their treasures, to make him their number one source of nourishment, the most important thing, the, the Lord, the king, the ruler of their lives. Verse 28, what does God want us to do? Jesus told them, this is what God wants you to do. Believe in the one he has sent. Lean your full self on God. That is what it means to believe. And this kind of belief involves a turning away from. A turning away from the flimsy white breads. It involves seeing them for what they are. At best, survival instincts. At worst, cheap, deceptive, empty, cruel, damaging even, imitations. Yes, you might be fed, fed a moment of pleasure, satisfaction, but you will become hungry again and again and again. Interesting stats are emerging at the moment from some of the most hedonistic, pleasure-seeking cities in our world. And these are cities where people go to have a good time, might live there for a while. But these are places also where, on census forms, there are the greatest number of people indicating none when it comes to religious beliefs. So these pleasure-seeking cities are the places where people are indicating none in terms of religious beliefs, on their census forms. The, the, fla- the fans of pleasure-seeking have made the pers- their personal happiness their god. That is the story of those cities. And interestingly, for those cities, they have some of the highest rates of depression and anxiety in the world. Really interesting stats emerging. White bread like this stuff doesn't give us what we really need. Pleasure doesn't nourish our soul. Jesus calls us to turn away from things that we think will give us joy and place the full weight of our trust on him and he will lead us into real joy. But how do we do this? How do we let Jesus feed us? How do we let Jesus be our bread? Verse 51, I am the living bread who came out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh offered up so the world may live. Three things I want to say about this. Firstly, and I come back to this every time, almost every time I preach. Number one, let Jesus tell me who I am. We live in a world that's desperate to tell me that I can make myself into whoever I want to be. You do you, girl. Just be who you want to be. But the voice of Jesus speaks a different message. He tells me who I am. doesn't leave me to make it up for myself. He tells me who I am. He tells me that I'm first and foremost a child of God. And any other identity is an illusion, as writes Brennan Manning, author and priest. Any other identity is an illusion, temporary at best. Listen to this, people. Nothing will set you free like this truth. Your number one identity is as a child of God. In my early 30s, and some of you have heard this story before, in my early 30s, this became a lifeline for me. When all my other friends were getting married and having babies, and I wasn't, I got destabilized. I was like, who who am I if I don't have those roles in life, those kind of norms of society? What's going to define me? Or what if I got sick, then I started wondering. If I don't have this and I feel like I'm not defined, then what if some other things happened? Like what if I got sick and couldn't work? Then I wouldn't have that identity either. Or what if my parents died and brother died and I was no longer a daughter or a sister? We need to hear the truth that we are God's beloved child over and over and over again because our world tells us a different story. The influence of our world is so huge, and that's part of the problem. A recent study in the US showed that the average American consumes 3,000 hours of online content a year. That, I did the maths, works out at about 125, 24-hour days. That is a lot of time online. Of that, for Christians, about 150 hours of that was Christian content. And Christians can get content in other ways, all right? It's not always online. Here is content happening right now. But let's not fool ourselves. Those enormous numbers of online hours... That's shaping us. It is forming us, and let's use the Christian word, it is discipling us into an image that is not Jesus. My truest identity isn't found in being a wife or a mother or being male or female, and it's not found in being gay or straight or same-sex attracted and choosing not to follow those feelings. These things are not our core identity according to the God of the Bible. The Christian story of who you are does not start with your sexuality, which is basically heresy in our world. There are things much deeper in the human psyche and the human soul being known and loved and made for a purpose and belonging to a community. So we can no longer define ourselves by the measures of our world. Our identity is not just whatever we want it to be not in being male or female or married or single or divorced or widowed or parent or not, or well or not, or working or not, or productive or in bed for a year recovering from cancer, or able-bodied or with a disability or well-educated or left school at 15 or Maori, or Pacifica, or Asian, or Pakeha, European, or African. These things are not my truest identity. Part of who I am, yes, but there is a higher call on my life, a primary call, and that is to my Maker, to my Saviour, Ihu Karaiti, Jesus Christ. Two Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. John 1, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let Jesus tell me who I am. That was number one. Number two, live this truth, i.e. orient my life around the reality of Jesus being the bread so it becomes my new normal. The way we live has got to change. And often that involves surrender, and self-denial. Actually, it will always (laughs) involve surrender and self-denial. If anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross daily. It's always going to involve surrender and self-denial, guys. There can be no following of Jesus without death to self. Jesus calls me to give up the white bread. About two years ago, I felt God prompting me to give up alcohol and coffee for a period of time. Nothing wrong with either when they used well. And I was like, you have got to be kidding. Like, my life is busy, can't you see? I've got small children. I have a lot going on in my life. And, you know, it's overwhelming. And a glass of wine on a Friday night and a cup of coffee in the morning, they're just a few small joys in the midst of stress. You want me to give up those little moments of joy? I fought it for quite a few months. Oh, surely that's not the voice of God. Surely, surely it's not. And I actually had to end up putting it in writing and signing my name to it that I would do it. Otherwise, I knew I would not stick to it. Like, that's how serious I had to be about it. And it wasn't a major addiction, but it, was, it had its teeth in me enough that it was hard. It was hard To start with, but God showed me this. My vision for joy was far too small. Ha, child, you think that's joy? As I surrendered and I no longer set my my sights on coffee for morning joy, and, oh gosh, this moment is horrible with my children fighting and this awful pile of laundry I've got to get through, but at least I can have a glass of wine tonight that kind of joy, Um, something happened, something happened, real joy, and God's real and true gifts took hold of me, and I started practicing gratitude for every small detail of my life. In the flowers, I found joy, in the sky, in a small hand in mine, there was joy, In the ordinary beauty of even laundry and dishes, there was joy to be found. Joy didn't diminish, joy grew. God only calls us to deny ourselves to give us something better. And so, are there things in your life robbing you of real bread? Things you think will fill you but really don't? Is it like coffee and alcohol, like it was for me? Or is it binge-watching Netflix? Or is it a porn addiction? Let's get real here. Or a gaming addiction or a shopping habit, all that mindless scrolling, scrolling, scrolling on your phone, evening after evening, can even be good things like an exercise program or a diet or a sport or a hobby that you have put your confidence in too deeply to satisfy you and and to deeply satisfy you. What are you looking to for joy? What is the flimsy white bread that you keep returning to? That means you will be hungry again. The giving up of the flimsy thin white bread that can never truly satisfy has to be mirrored, balanced by something else though. And that is the taking up of the true bread. The bread that nourishes the bread of the new age of God's rule, the bread of the kingdom of God. When Jesus called his disciples, he called them to be with him and to become like him and to do what he did. That's what it meant to follow a rabbi in first century Palestine. They were with him. They became like him. And they went out and they did what he did. In many churches, though, we're quite selective about which parts of Jesus' life we imitate, and it's kind of idealistic as well. We somehow believe that we can follow the teachings on love, so love your families and your neighbours and even love your enemies. We believe that we should do that, and we should resist anger and lust and resist greed and embrace radical generosity and hospitality and die to ourselves and yet continue to live in our fast-paced, distracted, digitally addicted world with packed schedules, packed calendars, always busy, exhausted, binge-watching Netflix to escape from it all, but finding it doesn't really refresh us. And I know this because I have been there And I am often still there, but I am finding a different path, and it is life-giving. In the words of my current favorite teacher and author, John Mark Comer, if you want the life of Jesus, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. In other words, if we want to be people who live Jesus' vision of what it means to be human, To become people of love to our families and communities and even to our enemies. If we want that kind of life, we need to look at how Jesus lived, the whole picture of how he lived, and imitate our rabbi. His life moved slowly, he took time out to be alone, he took time out to rest. He practiced Sabbath, a whole day of no work. He prayed not long wordy lists all the time, although we do have some longer wordy lists, but he took time just to be with his Father. He made space for quiet with God, deep communing, right brain, not just left brain. He noticed little things and little ones and made time for children and eating. He ate with all kinds of different people. And then he fasted. He didn't accumulate stuff, he lived simply. He was grateful, thanking his father for the big and the small. Living like this, these are not just tweaks to our lives, guys. This is a reorganizing of our lives. Jesus calls us to an entirely different way of life. If our lives look more or less like everyone else's, but we go to church on a Sunday and read the Bible a bit during the week and pray a couple of times a day, and we expect to come anything close to reflecting who Jesus is or being nourished by him or never hungering again, We're fooling ourselves. Jesus calls us to feast on him, to let his flesh and blood be our food that we return to constantly. If this feels huge, don't worry, it is. Okay? I've been on the journey a couple of years and it is still very daunting for me, but it is okay because this is, in part, a clue as to where we are heading in 2024. And maybe beyond. And it is, it is daunting, but it's also exciting. And there are many wise guides who have gone before to help us on the journey. We have 2,000 years of Christian tradition to draw on. We will come back to this. But if you're like, I don't want to wait till next year, Tina. Like, I'm ready for some of this good stuff now. Come talk to me after. Uh, the final thing I just want to say quickly is, We need to let others see what we're feeding on. Now, there's an organic part to that. And there's an intentional part. Organically, when we are people of joy and love, people with a secure identity, people who are welcoming, hospitable, grateful, generous, that stands out. Okay, Jesus kind of spills out of us. And that's how it was for the early Christians. They had a faith that was contagious. They didn't need to attend classes on how to share their faith. Like, it just bubbled out. And so it is and can be with us. Jesus will overflow when we're feeding on him, and his love and joy is our source of vitality. But there's intentionality as well, and Josh Taylor shared with me a podcast um, recently, and it was about uh, young people in New Zealand and a renewed interest in Christian faith, which is really exciting In one story, the host was approached by a young man simply because he was sitting in public reading his Bible. And he just came up and he's like, is that a Bible? And they started talking. And then that talking led on to more talking and significant faith conversations happened from that. Let's eat our real bread in public. Let's eat our real bread where people can see it. Parents, Leave your door open when you're praying, when you're reading your Bible, so that little eyes can peep around the corner and see what you're doing, see what you are feeding on, what is nourishing you. Let's extrovert more of our inner life around children and young people and just around each other, so people can see what our faith looks like. I'm really praying about my disagreement with Kim the other day. I don't know whether I overlook her offence and her rudeness or whether to bring it up with her and I'm really praying God will guide me. That's an easy thing to say in front of listening little ears. Let's keep sharing our stories, externalising the ways that we are relying on God so others see it. So three things in terms of the how. Let Jesus tell me who I am. Let's live out the truth that Jesus is our bread. And let's eat our bread in public. Let's let others see what we are feeding on.